So lockdown number five. Woo. Fucking. <sighs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Just been extended as of this morning. Yeah. Yeah. No um, end in date. Yeah. Five days to question mark. I'm so yeah. not excited about this. Do you know what I'm not excited about? <laughs> the fact that I thought it was fucking lockdown number six. So on Instagram stories, I had the gif of like Laganja Estranja death dropping saying, come on, season six, let's get sickening. <laughs> and then I put like lockdown six on my story. <laughs> and then how many people so, called you out and were like, um. No, nobody me? has. They're just like, oh, Lacey, you're a dead shit. But that's okay. <laughs> we still love you. I get that vibe from my followers on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw that and I thought it was funny. That is funny. I did not see that. That's lovely. Um, my Instagram is quite thirsty. It's very thirsty. As Instagram should be. <laughs> I can't figure mine out at the moment. Mine has its toners all over the place. <laughs> it's up. It's down. Yeah. Yeah, mine's mm. depression and somebody come over. <laughs> <laughs> you up? I'm sad. You up? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, listeners, since it is lockdown five here in sweet old Melbourne and the rest of the world is still pretty much on fire, um, take some time to sit down with your weird sisters where we tell you a cursed tale, everything blessed and bizarre, all the things you're happier not knowing about. My name is Tay. And I've lost my fucking notes. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Tay and I am addicted to escapism nostalgia because that's all that's getting me through this lockdown. (laughs) That hits hits me so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I am the most stressed salary man in all of Japan. Oh, okay. And what's your name? Lacey. (laughs) (laughs) Lacey-san. No, that's Mr. Lacey. Yeah. Lacey-chan. Well, that would be someone who's very familiar with you. Son is still like a level of like like authority, like or like. I mean, it's it's Fuji, it's Fuji San. Yeah, but Fuji's masculine, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Because it's a I'm mountain s- and it looks like a like a like a wiener. He doesn't look like a wiener. He looks more like a <laughs> '80s titty. <gasps> yeah, Point. he's got the Madonna bra going on. Um, I am Laura, and I am a sweet little taxidermy rat with a spray paint can. Yay! Woo woo. Uh, yeah. Ha- so, mm. I can't uh, I'm do go- this. Someone help me. <laughs> COVID has scrambled our brains. Um, no vaccine needed for us. We don't need the extra chemicals to screw our brains. Yes, with. that is the fun. excuse we're going to go with. I like um, it. Not that we, not that we smoke <laughs> chemicals or anything. Never. No, 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 no. Very wholesome on this show. <laughs> Edge till death. <laughs> um, heists, heists. That's the theme. Hey, hey. So, um, the topic of heists was recommended by a listener. Ooh. Thank you, listener. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it's you know quite interesting. Like, would you steal shit? Me. If you got lots of stuff, everyone. Uh, I have been. I may be in trouble with the law for this before, <laughs> potentially. Uh, one of my arrests has involved theft. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, Mum. She doesn't listen to this anyway. It's fine. Um, no, because 
I would just feel too bad. I can't even be mean to NPCs in video games. I couldn't steal anything. You're anymore. so wholesome. <laughs> I feel bad about like if a sim gets angry at my sim because I like tried to compliment and flirt with them too many times or something. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, sorry for harassing you. <laughs> yeah. I would not do it. That's my answer. That's fair enough. Hmm. I am very anti-establishment, unfortunately. The long, the older I get, the more I'm like, steal everything. Fuck these. Oh yeah, if, you're stealing, if, you're from, if you need to eat and you like stealing, fucking do it, mate. Oh, but yeah. like, keep those independent businesses and those oh, no, no. family-owned businesses out of those little yeah. sticky fingers. But mate, I'm not looking. I do not see it. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you ask? Would you sell? Would you steal? Would you theft, loot, steal? Yeah, if I, knew I, if I knew I could get away with it. Yeah, yeah. indiscriminately. No. Oh, good. Proud of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good. I just like that thrill, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a feeling. <laughs> um, okay. I came across this one um, when I was on one of those nights on the internet where you start with like, you know, a makeup tutorial and then end up at four in the morning with like videos of people peeling eggs really up close yes. um i'd come across i've come across this within that chain of events cheap paper letters cut from movie magazines and the threat of death even though he knew what to expect the bank manager's hands still shook as he opened the letter the latest missive in a chain of random ra- fuck me a chain of random ransom demands good good writing lady that had, that had been arriving over the past year at first they were posted to his work the koku bungee branch of the nihon shintaku ginkgo bank in tokyo but now the letters arrived at his personal address give me three million yen or i will blow up your house with dynamite with you inside oh my god okay Mm-hmm. Right, escalated. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like always, he reports the letters to the police. The police respond by doing regular drive-bys of his house and staking out um, the street he's in. Um, but because this is Japan, <laughs> despite death, th- death threats and severe mental turmoil, the bank manager continued to go to his work as normal. <laughs> <laughs> he did, however, share his fears with his employees. So the whole branch was on high alert for anything suspicious. Four days after receiving the last letter, on the morning of December 10, 1968, the bank's employees packed up the company car with metal boxes filled with cash. The four employees were going to deliver the year-end bonus for Toshiba's 523 Fuchu plant employees. So... Sidebar Nation, Lacey History Corner slash Japanese Custom Corner. (laughs) Oh, yes. Okay. Take us to school. Take us to school. Companies in Japan give their employees bonuses twice a year, um, one in the summer and another at the year's end in winter. This tradition uh, began in the Edo era, 1603 to 1867, where business owners would give the bonuses so that employees can go out and enjoy cultural events like festivals or stuff like that to enjoy time with their families and that was part of the like the draw to work there and it's still this tradition still continues today very nice delivering the money was going to be a little tougher this year obviously because their bank manager had been threatened with a bomb the employees delivering the cash were highly anxious they were just 200 meters from the Toshiba plant when a police motorcyclist screeched to a halt in front of their vehicle 
The policemen anxiously told them that their bank manager's house had just been bombed. <gasps> still pulling people out of the wreckage <gasps> oh he also explained that the police um check underneath their vehicle because another threat that had said that dynamite had been put in their clearly marked company cars oh, oh it's not the police four bank employees got out of the car while the police officer crawled underneath the car to try and find out if there was a bomb a few minutes later, employees noticed smoke and flames emerging from under the car. The policeman yelled that the car was going to explode. The employees all ran behind a thick wall to shelter themselves from the explosion while the police officer scrambled to get out of, from underneath the car. Behind the wall, they covered their eyes and ears bracing themselves for a big explosion. Nothing happened. Finally, they decided to take a peek and see if the police officer managed to defuse the bomb. But when they did, they found that the car and the police officer were gone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. In a state of bewilderment, the employees called their branch where they found out that there had been no explosion and their bank manager was fine. <laughs> Bamboozled. Bamboozled. Clever. <laughs> they eventually realised they had been fooled by a young man disguised as a police officer. And they were the victims of a very clever heist that had been planned for months and executed very smoothly. Good job, son. Yes. Interestingly, the serial numbers of all the cash were undocumented. <gasps> and the amount that was stolen was exactly 300 million yen. The number the ransom letter asked for. Huh. So while under the car, the man had ignited a flare to create the smoke and flames that the employees saw. And when they took shelter, he just drove the car away and then abandoned it, moved the cash to another stolen car he had waiting for him, abandoned that one after fleeing the prefecture, and then the robber went to another vehicle, which was another stolen car. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So throughout the like places the robber left, the cars, the cars themselves, the motorcycle – there was over 120 pieces of evidence that were left at the scene. Oh. Well, I was um, literally just like, huh, this dude's really good at this. And I was like, oh, wait, there's more evidence. <laughs> oh, yeah. So all of the evidence had been left behind to confuse the investigation. Oh, he is good at this. But, but, man, I don't even put this much effort into literally anything. Like, I, I'm exhausted just imagining it. Right. <laughs> this is too much like I had to do a couple of assignments in a group at the end of last semester and I was just like all of y'all are getting very little attention because I just can't I can't organize myself like this can you imagine how much effort this would have taken them and the stakes yeah so this investigation uh was the largest in Japanese history at the time so 170,000 police officers took to the field uh more than 100,000 people were on the suspect list um, the cost of the investigation was over 12 million US dollars. Oh my God. And involved hundreds of detectives who like questioned something like over a hundred thousand people. <laughs> like, um, so I do have some suspects. Ooh. Mm. Uh, one was a 19 year old man. He was the son of a police officer. And was thought to be a suspect because he had knowledge of like police procedure and he didn't have an alibi. Um, five days after the heist, 
he was found dead after taking uh, potassium cyanide pills. Mm. Um, he mm. was later found not guilty according to official police records. What? Um, yep. And his dad was the one who actually brought the pills. What? Wait, so, mm. what? Say that yeah. again. Okay. Five days after the heist, mm-hmm. he is found dead after, by suicide, mm-hmm. taking potassium cyanide. That his dad bought him. That his dad brought him. <gasps> he was later found not guilty according to official police records. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fucked. <laughs> so Dark. we don't know whether he was, like, forced to do that or whether he took them himself. I mean, it sounds pretty, pretty forcey, but what do I know? I know mm. nothing. It wasn't there. No. Yeah. We can only perhaps and maybe and speculate. I know. We can only guess. Um, a year later, on December 12, 1969, nice, a 26-year-old man <laughs> was arrested for the heist because he looked like the composite sketch of the robber. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, but the man had an alibi. Um, when the robbery happening, like, happened, he was taking like a government exam. Oh. He just looked exactly like the picture. Oh, oh shit. Gosh. They also arrested him with no fucking evidence apart from the fact that he looked like this guy. That's so fucked. Like, hey, you so they were like never going to make it <laughs> stick, really. Um, seven years later, in 1975, a man had large sums of money um, from an unknown source and couldn't provide satisfactory explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the police weren't, like, couldn't prove that the money was from the robbery. Right. Who knows? Um, and then in December 1975, so that last one mm. in the 75, the seven-year criminal statute of limitations passed without an arrest. So that last one was sort of like a Hail Mary one, like see if it sticks. Just please, yeah. Okay. So you don't have, you won't be arrested for it. And then since 1988 or 20 years after the incident, the robber has also been released from civil liability. So he could confess without fear of the law. Oh, really? But but still no one admits it. Holy shit. That's a thing? Maybe they're yeah. still involved in oh. other illegal activities. like Mate, still heisting. Yeah. Still lifting. I Statue of Limitations, like I'd love to learn more about it. I need to spend some time doing that because I just, I don't understand. So we, so Australia has Statue of Limitations mm-hmm. for... Civil suits. Like, you don't want somebody being like, eight years ago, somebody hit my car. Yeah. You know what I mean? We don't want that. So that needs – so they – I think it's like traffic accidents and things like that. It's like six months from the incident because you can't – like, there's no evidence. There's no – you know, it's it's harder to investigate. Um, Things that uh, some places have rape as a statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah. Because – I believe yeah. it's popped up with murder before as well, but I can't remember. Yeah, in the States, yeah, um, they have that for murder in some places. Right. Um, we don't have statute of limitations for murder um, or rape, but we did have one. Uh, we did have a statute of limitations for child rape. Oh. Huh. So, okay, um, Australia. That has, that has since been reversed. Good. Clever. That's good. Um, because, yeah. and that's the thing, that's why, like, a lot of the people who were molested by, like, 
the priests and the brothers and <gasps> things like that, they couldn't get convictions. <gasps> Fuck, that's fucked up. Mm. That's so fucked. It's all it's all interwoven and it's all interwoven. Oh. Yeah, but um, I find the Japanese justice system like like incredibly fascinating, including like public opinion and things like that. Mm. Really, mm. it really matters a lot um, with that kind of thing. Mm. Um, cool. And just in closing. Um, this is considered to be by like law enforcement over like around the board a good heist uh-huh. because the money was taken and there was no loss of life. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that isn't strictly true. Two detectives who worked on the case died of exhaustion. <gasps> and the dude, and the dude that was falsely accused. Yeah, he yeah. So the the espionage don't, thing. But yeah. we don't know. Ooh. Anyway, um, well, he decades later, the crime still captivates Japan. Um, it spawned a lot of like books, movies, TV dramas, and there's like a manga series about it. Of course, of course, naturally. Um, yeah, it's it's great. And also, because it was Japan in 1968, all of the pictures from like the scene of the crime and everything like that are just like fantastic black and white 1960s Japan. Oh, it is wow. really really cool. Just beautiful. Yeah, it was really really nice. I love yeah. that. It's very awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that was my heist. Thank you. Oh, yeah. What a way to start it off. One that was just like, oh yeah, they just, it's gone. It's gone. It's forever. gone. A successful one. <laughs> it's gone and they can't, and they can't do anything about it. Um, did you guys watch the heists um, show on Netflix? No, I haven't, I haven't watched anything since I went to uni. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Is it good? It it has the thing about like you never think about like what happens to them. It's amazing. You yeah. never think about what happens to them after the heist. Like you assume they go and they have like a great life, but in like they they don't. Like one of the ladies ended up like penniless in Amsterdam and she was forced to do escorting because she didn't have an identity. Oh. So she couldn't get work and like she had no money. Right. Oh. Yeah, it was really, really um interesting. To see, and because it's the American law system, it's very, very strange. Oh, I don't know, but yeah, I recommend that one. The heists that are in that, um, like show, are not the heists we are doing today either. So if you're feeling thirsty after this episode, check out heists on Netflix. More content, Ooh, more content, delightful. not Delicious. sponsors. <laughs> <sighs> Somebody please sponsor us. Give us some money. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm too scared to steal it. Thank you. <laughs> I'll do it for you, baby. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you, Mommy. I got nothing you, to Mama. lose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you about some heists that were less successful and probably Ooh. less severe and a little more silly. Oh, you're um, doing a, a multi-parter, are yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Like so, uh... Much like last episode, nostalgia and escapism fueled my segment this week. Mm-hmm. But uh, don't worry, it's not as traumatizing as Travis. I am sorry. I like that uh, you I'm have not to actually sorry. for once. It's nice. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> sorry. It's a it's a good story. It's interesting. And if I had to read it you with have a hyperfixation when I was 15, you all had to listen to it. <laughs> um, so as a kid and as an adult, uh, anything collectible 
gets me going. Like my magpie brain is very interested in limited edition, exclusive, alternate colorways, all of it. <clears throat> and as a kid, I was super into uh, Beanie Kids, as then also known Beanie Babies. Uh, little teddies, little stuffed animals uh, with plastic beads that made them be able to sit up and like. I made a, yeah. My my collection of Beanie Kids is is pretty fucking amazing. Really? Mine was pretty solid yeah. too. Yeah, I have them anymore. I had one that I got from a secondhand shop. It was the seahorse, the tropical colored oh, seahorse. Very cute. That's Pastel. so cute. What a satisfying sound they made when they, you threw them from the top of a bunk bed as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> <Funk. Specific laughs> so <that> good. Right. <laughs> the best. Especially that. if it was at a sibling's head. Yes. <laughs> and you uh, get them and then you hear the smack. Yep. And then you just hear, smack. I'm telling mom. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm sorry you didn't tell mom, no. It's fine, um, I didn't even touch you. <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> um, I say this like I had that experience. I grew up in a one-child household. <laughs> but I did watch my friends do that to their siblings very often, so I had a, a bystander approach. Um, <clears throat> anyway, Beanie Kids, Beanie Babies, uh, which will I now will be calling them Babies. And it's going to sound really funny when I say some of the uh, facts because it's going to sound like I'm talking about real babies. But I'm not. I'm talking like about these more. little... <laughs> wherever your imagination takes you mate i'm not gonna stop that thank you you, you follow that thread um but these toys first launched in 93 same uh and created by ty inc uh so these babies took the world by storm also me mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> uh but i'm sure you're wondering tay what does this have to do with heists well in the 90s and the early 2000s um beanie babies became a precious commodity uh people were like fighting in the stores for these thanks to um ty's deliberate underproduction of their product uh looking at you nintendo uh frequent retiring and designs led to people flipping babies on ebay for like 10 times the recommended retail price (laughs) like it was fucked like at the height of the hysteria beanie babies made up 10 percent of all items sold on ebay i love it that's amazing 10 percent. what the fuck yeah so there's some money there. And, like, eBay is, was not what it was today back then. It was not anywhere near as, like, because you can buy shit from, like, big brands and, like, stores on eBay now. But, like, back then, eBay was just, like, independent sellers yep. selling their junk yep. to get a buck. Just some dudes. Yep. Uh, in 1998, uh, police were investigating a stolen goods operation in Ohio and discovered several hundred stolen Beanie Babies valued at around 20,000 uh, US dollars. <gasps> yeah. So after the raid, uh, police found hundreds of babies discarded and dirty around the location um, and suspects Dave Golden and Joey Smith were jailed, each on a single count of receiving stolen property. Um, the Beanie Babies were stolen from a vehicle at a at a convention. There were heaps of conventions for Beanie Babies back in the, like, like, um, the early 2000s and the 90s, like um, big buy, swap and sell conventions, traders, like it was insane. Like the hysteria and the like collectability of these was like off the charts. I had a, I remember I had a little like almanac book as a kid that was like a, the collector's guide, 1998. And, um, and I bought it for like $2 at a used bookstore when I was like 10 years old. 
Um, <laughs> and it was just so much fun looking back at all of the like old stuff I couldn't get. I used to get really bummed out. I'm like, I can't get it anymore. Um, and I still have this problem nowadays and I get very FOMO when I see things I can't get anymore. Um, if you would like to experience more of that, I have something for you. More content for all of the uh, similarly affected nostalgic and 90s babies. Um, have you guys heard of the History of the 90s podcast by Curious Cast? Yes, I introduced you guys to that. Yeah. Oh, you did. You did. Of course you did. They have a great the Beanie Baby episode. episode is so good. The Beanie Baby oh God, episode on that is so good. Yeah, it's really enjoyable because it's so twisted and weird, like how what happened it's with so the twisted. creator of them. Bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Mate. I love it. I was like, I know someone showed me this podcast, but I did not know who. I should <laughs> have known who it was, realistically. Mm-hmm. Mate, after y'all finish this episode, bump on over to them. It's really good. They have lots of episodes. They're really entertaining. Katie Kinzora, who presents it, is very entertaining. She's sweet. Yep. Love her one. Love her one on The Lion King. And I was like, (gasps) I know everything there is about The Lion King. There's nothing that she could tell me. She told us so much about The Lion King. She told me so much about The Lion King. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. She's fantastic. She's very good. I enjoy that show very much. Mm. Yes. Hell yeah. All right. So we've had our, our first, like, considerable amount of babies stolen um in a separate incident a 35 year old florida woman named melissa stiver was charged with fraud after allegedly making over 10 grand in fake ebay listings for rare beanie babies (gasps) 10 grand bitch (laughs) yeah like she just listed them and then sent them and and like sold the thing and never sent the item. Oh, I've had that happen to me and it makes me so mad. So have I. So bad. Like it's so easy now to just put like a charge back through PayPal or like open a dispute on eBay. But back then, there was like, no I'm way. sure this was no. No. It's fucked. Your money was gone. Bye. You had to just rely on the way strangers did things and hope that yeah. they wouldn't fuck you the over. Will. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Now in the 90s there was a limit on how many beanie babies were allowed across the canadian border uh many people were smuggling um them to the u.s and the the blaine crossing u.s customs office was like in the middle of this at the peak of this area um they were just like no you can only bring one like if a child had like two they're like no we have to take one what (laughs) yeah it was like a there, there was, was a three law, kids like, in the car and each had a beanie baby. What was it? The- essentially. <gasps> um, so the quote, a quote from one officer was, uh, people are smuggling beanie babies in similar places where they hide drugs, such as hidden <laughs> compartments and spare tire holders. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's amazing. So we've got people smuggling them across the border. We've got fake eBay listings. We've got um, an organized crime operation. Uh, and then we've got um, some more, some more crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Happy the Hippo Beanie Baby, at the time worth $900 USD, was stolen from a Beanie Baby convention in Andover, New Hampshire. And in the nearby town of Nashua, hundreds more had been stolen and bartered for heroin. Shit. I mean, yeah. which would you prefer, honestly? The sweet <sighs> drop of heroin in your veins or a Beanie Baby? Oh, the fucking Beanie Babies, dog. <laughs> like... I am addicted to shit that's limited edition. Like I'm better than I was, but in my height, I've pumped so much stupid money to so many stupid things. Thank you, Funko. Ah, I'm really <laughs> glad I never got on that train. It amazes me that it's still a thing. I have a friend on my um, Facebook who collects 
hundreds and she's i don't know how she does it there's so many she has so fucking many and i'm just like why do you still want more yeah where is the appeal i definitely noped out of that one early enough but my oh just a side note my most expensive funko pop was a pea shooter from uh Plants vs. Zombies. And I yes. sold that bad boy for $300. <gasps> what? How much did you buy I, it for? I was a gift, and that was back when they cost $15. Oh, my God. Yep. And I sold it probably oh, far between three and four years ago, and I made $300. Oh, when we started at uni. Yeah. Yeah. It's when I was like, I need the money, dog. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. Um, but, yeah, like – this like this is like this the beanie baby bubble is what this like when they were worth a lot of money is what it was called like it was and it's really fascinating because like companies still do this they create like f- like fake like hype and under they underproduce things to make the secondhand market like go nuts for it yeah Amazing. and like the like this these this couple that like was using it to like purchase heroin were like obviously in a vulnerable situation and it's just like this whole like it's way crazy how you can go from like the selling of a small bear to the buying and selling of illicit drugs it's really fun <laughs> and like the detective that was quoted by the washington post for the nashuan incident was said to have been investigating three separate beanie baby heists in 1998 totally more than 15,000 USD in stolen goods. Oh my mm. lord, that is incredible. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. I love the weird shit that people get yeah. strangely into. It's so much fun to read about. I had so much fun. I spent the whole day just like deep diving and I was so far and deep in the internet and I was like, this is so much fun. My favourite um, one of this at the moment that keeps popping yeah. up every couple of like months is the Coles and Woolworths little mini <gasps> shops and the Ushies and all that bullshit because they are right? actually trash. They are nothing. No one wants them. Not even kids want them for more than like five minutes. But it's and the especially because it coincides perfectly with Coles and Woolworths moving to these recycled bags that they charge people for, which they're say they're basically putting the onus on the consumer saying like it's your fault for not reusing your bags and bringing in your recycled bags but then they pump out hundreds of thousands of pounds of tiny tiny little plastic things and then go like yeah collect them buy more of our shit spend more money with us it's just it's fucked and then they end up in the ocean like they get found on balinese beaches and shit like that because they're just in landfill within a week it's crazy and it's funny, like, there was, like, at one point, there was, like, a week where one of them was worth, like, $500, and then the next week, Coles and Woolworths were like, we have recycling bins for the Ushies that you've been buying. Bring them back, and we'll just dispose of them of them for you. Like, it's... Right? It's crazy! You could it's look so crazy. on Facebook Marketplace for a while, and there were people advertising to buy and also selling um, the little Lion King Ushies in particular at yes. stupid sums of money. Just crazy amounts i like the plants little seed things seedling that initiative cool. better i haven't yet heard any negative things about that but fuck i hell. can't keep them alive oh i try <laughs> i make an attempt <laughs> i don't guarantee that it comes out well hmm. <laughs> i actually have a little golden uh zazu ushi on the <gasps> shelf of my kitchen because mum was like trying to get them for my cousin and and then i opened one i'm like i want to keep this one because it's it's 
it's a little golden bird. I just fucking Zazu. Yeah, and I just put it in the top of the kitchen shelf, and it's still there. And it just it just like surveys over all the land. (laughs) Touches. That was his job. That was yeah. To look to see. Anyway, the uh, the Beanie Baby heist did not stop here. Um, so in October of 1999, Jeffrey White, age 29, shot 63-year-old <gasps> security guard Harry Simmons at a lumberyard in West Virginia, um, a town notable for its Beanie Baby hysteria. Like, it was particularly bad here. What the fuck? Um, so White confessed to the crime, blaming Simmons for getting him fired from his security job also at the lumberyard, it later surfaced that the two men had had a disagreement over $150 cash and even more money in Beanie Babies that Simmons had lent White supposedly to start a trading business. Some dude got shot over Beanie Babies! What the actual fuck, dude? (laughs) So funny. Absolutely fucked. Horrendous. Oh, that poor man. Yeah. Poor dude. I feel I feel for the for the for Harry Simmons. Like, that's fucked. And also, like, y'all should be having guns. Yeah. Still! Yeah. Fuck. Oh, just. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So as recently as last year, the year of our Lord Satan, twenty twenty, <laughs> there have been beanie baby heists. What? Still. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Why? Yeah. So thank you, Shad Tim, who when I was sitting there trying to figure out what to do, and he was like, he was like, I'm gonna do a quick Google search, and he's like, here's some weird ones, and he was like, slid the beanie baby one to me. This article in particular and was like, go nuts, kid, and I was like. <laughs> He knows this you is why, so well. This is why. <laughs> this is why I've chosen you. Um, so, a group of in- four individuals broke into a storage locker in the U.S. and stole twenty-five plastic tubs containing six hundred Beanie Babies. Currently, those Beanie Babies have worth between seven to ten USD each. So, still not nothing. There's still like around five to six thousand dollars worth of Beanie Babies there. Mm. Am I doing my math correctly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Mate, I go to uni. <laughs> um, so two men and two women between the ages of 33 and 19 were caught on security cameras cutting the master lock and loading the stolen babies into a U-Haul truck, also stolen. Um, the group went to a pawn shop uh, the same day and allegedly using a stolen license attempted to trade several items for cash, including a chainsaw that was inside the stolen truck. Um <laughs> The eldest of the group, Gary Triplett, was interviewed by police after the truck was found behind his house. Uh, smart. Uh, he admitted to the Beanie Baby heist and, st- and the stolen U-Haul, and the group was arrested and each um, was set with a $10,000 cash bond. Ooh. Um, Triplett revealed the location of the stolen babies during questioning. <laughs> the stolen babies. Yeah, the stolen babies. He admitted to the baby heist. The baby heist. <laughs> yeah, so... But, like, why are these little dudes so coveted? So I did a little sleuthing. And by that, I mean I clicked the first result on Google search. Turns out there's still a market for Beanie Kids slash babies. Still. Still. To this day. 2021. To this day. <gasps> this article I found was published in 2019. So there could be, like, a little fluctuation in the prices. But, like, let me take you on a journey. So the, this list that I found has 20 items, and I'm going to read you the top five because these prices are cooked. Uh, and that is coming from someone who collects pieces of cardboard, uh, aka Magic the Gathering. Uh, yeah, keep pants cooked. nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so Claude the Crab, sweet little guy, um, like a brown, green, blue color. He fetches around $10,000 USD, according to the collector's market. Yep. Excuse me? $10,000 for a little crab. So there was like five original Beanie Babies um, 
there was like a crab, a bear, a like an actual bear. Yeah. Um, a lobster named like Pinchy or something. What a weird creature. Like the bear makes yeah. sense, but a crab and a lobster of all the many animal types, you pick two invertebrates. Right? Creepy crawlies. And then there was like a hip, I think the hippo, happy the hippo. And then there's another one. And then we've got Valentino the bear, which is a, a no, white I teddy that one. with a red heart embroidered on his chest. And he's worth $19,000 USD. Oh. But not just any Valentino is $19,000. The only Valentino um, with the label misprint is um, said to rake in the big bucks. So the misprint is literally on his little tag that has his name and birthday on it. Instead of um, a colon separating his birth date from like DOB, it's a semicolon. What? And Yes, and that is why he is worth $19,000. <laughs> what? A, it's I, fucked. I, I don't understand the demand. Yeah. The so demand misprint is stuff is insane. And I don't understand. I don't understand the demand either because, again, just taking it on back to Magic the Gathering, um, there is a huge market for misprinted cards and like cards that are like just not printed correctly in their margins like half of it's cut off and half and like i don't and in pokemon as well i don't understand an imperfect I, I, thing is more desirable essentially so isn't th- that beautiful theoretically then people should want the fuck out of me but here we are <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense the logic um and then we have brownie the bear which is one of the og beanie babies um was sold for twenty thousand usd um and then a pair of babies Lefty the donkey and righty the elephant, which were signed by Hillary Clinton, sold for $50,000. This is an outlier. These babies are unique. However, I thought it was really funny since both the babies are colored with stars and stripes like the American flag. So like the left and the right. (laughs) Like it's really funny. And um, the fact that like it's like I'm sure her like signature is worth more. But like I just thought that was a funny thing. It is funny. funny. That's funny. So now we come to our last bear, the last bear on the list, um, our most expensive baby in the market as of 2019 is Princess. So Princess is a small purple teddy with a white rose embroidered on her chest and she was released to commemorate Princess Diana. She's very sweet. And she is worth 500,000 <gasps> USD. Excuse me? 500,000 USD, what? mama. What? What? Yes. That bear yes. is worth more than I would be if I was sold on the black market. What? <laughs> Holy shit. That's right. incredible. Yeah. It's insane. It's it's just I'm like, I, I get it, but like, because I, I'm, I get it, but I'm just like, there are that's no so much money. That's so much money. Yeah, that's. That's outrageous. That makes me mad that that the thing that it makes me mad about is it's someone out there. Cause obviously when you have something that is worth a certain amount, you mm-hmm. have to find the buyer that's willing to pay that amount. You don't just, yes. you don't just have something that you can instantly turn into cash because that buyer might not exist for five years, 10 years, a hundred percent. But the fact that someone or multiple someones, it would seem are out there willing to pay that kind of money for a stuffed toy that has no other value really upsets me. That hurts me. But in conclusion, 
check your parents' garage next time you visit, listeners. You might have some money sitting there <laughs> in between your creased Pokemon cards and hazardous sky dancers. Yes. Probably not. <laughs> and that is the Beanie Baby Heist uh, fun time hour. Hey! Yay! Thank you. You're that welcome. Was- that was a lot. There was more to the Beanie Baby situation than I thought because the only one that came into my head straight away was um, obviously the podcast about the 90s, but also the uh, famous meme of the divorcing couple dividing up their Beanie Baby collection. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. That was in my research. That is so fucking funny. Hilarious. If, if you haven't seen that that whole segment, which you can watch it, or you can just the picture of just – because they, they divorced at the height of this when they were worth money, and it was like it was like dividing up assets, mm-hmm. just these tiny little toys on the courtroom floor, and they were like, "This one's for you, you know, you get you get Happy the Hippo, but I get Princess." I'm like, "No, no, no! If you get Princess, and I get everything else, oh, no, no. it's like <laughs> it's crazy." <laughs> oh, I love it. It's fucked. Well, thank you. You're Thanks. welcome. Thanks. Yay! I guess that uh, leaves me. Yes. And for the first episode, I think, ever, none of us have had anything super gross, super gory, super morbid to talk about. There was a couple of deaths, but very mild compared to our usual fare. Yeah, mild in in the death category. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm keeping that going because I also did not do anything really fucking upsetting for once. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Woo! Um, Don't get used to it. I have other things I want to talk about. (laughs) Enjoy the moment while it lasts, listeners. Yes, exactly. Well, and we also know that I tend to get, I interpret the the program that we're given creatively sometimes, just Mm -hmm. so I can talk about shit that I want to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the Beanie Babies. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yours, there was heists involved. It was actual heists. Um, I decided to do an anti-heist. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Um, Mm. So this is something that I sort of like grew up knowing about. My mum actually introduced me to this this story and this artist. Uh, my mom is cool as fuck and I don't toot her horn nearly enough. She was like an art student in England in the early 80s, so she has done and smoked some things. Fuck yeah, mom. <laughs> fuck yeah, mom. But um, when I was a teenager and I started to show like an interest in art, she was like, oh, cool. All right, well, we're not going to look at um, Monet. We're not going to look at, you know, Klimt the Kiss. We're going to look at this guy. We're going to talk about this. And she bought me this really cool book. Um and told me about how he had gone on to perform these anti-art heists. So basically, we're going to talk about Banksy. Hell yeah! Yay! And Banksy's kind of like, everyone knows who he is nowadays. Like, if you don't know who he is, then that's fine. But pretty much, we'll go into it. But in the mid-2000s, like very early 2000s to mid-2000s, mysterious art began to appear in galleries around New York City. Uh, in the MoMA, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Brooklyn Museum, and even the Museum of Natural History. So these suspicious pieces included things like You Have Beautiful Eyes, which was a portrait of a woman in a World War II era gas mask. There was a pop-up art art print of a Tesco soup can, very similar (laughs) to our Andy Warhol style, the Campbell's. And a taxidermy rat spray painting graffiti titled Banksus Militus Ratus. Yes. So cute. 
So they look amazing as well. So I have a book that shows a lot of these really cool pieces. Um, They're just so cool. So if you go into an art gallery and a lot of the time, obviously, like you'll go into these huge, huge rooms and unless you're in a more contemporary, newer one, but usually your standard art gallery, big rooms, lots of paintings, usually sort of around the same artist or similar eras, something connecting them. So, and after a while, they kind of blur together, you know, like Mm -hmm. some of them are really amazing, but you see so many Victorian women sat in chairs looking miserable that you're like, okay, that's a lot. Actually, when I went and saw, when I went and saw Dagar, Mm. he he was like obsessed with like sketching before he did his final piece. Mm -hmm. And there are literally like 40s sketches of redheaded prostitutes in like getting like having baths and stuff mm-hmm. he was a massive pervert oh yeah lots of yeah. these artists were <laughs> oh yeah so was um Klimt yep he always had he was just wore like a smock and like all these women were always just like lounging around his art studio and that's all he wore was like this big moo moo smock and he was like keep being hedonist while I frantically <laughs> <laughs> well what Banksy would do basically they had little placards, so they had all the standard affair that get, went with an art gallery piece. Um, so the pieces went unnoticed by gallery staff for as long as 12 days in some stints. Uh, the stunt was a catalyst for Banksy's now world-renowned fame. Basically, these purses, they're not meant to be there. They were never meant to be there. Security footage and photographs showed a man in a grey overcoat, grey hat and a thick beard installing the artworks himself. He would take them out from inside his jacket or bag and just stick him up. He just had some glue and he just smashed him against the wall and then he Fucking walked away. <laughs> um, oh my God. We now know this to be Banksy uh, disguising himself. Um, we still don't really know what he looks like a hundred percent from what I know, but basically it talks a little bit about the, the gallery security at this time, because taking an artwork off the wall, you'll definitely, someone will know about it. It's very likely that uh, you'll get caught. Not in every case. Sometimes you can be smart about it. But in a lot of places, there's sensors, there's stuff, lots of cameras, lots of guards. Trying to put something up in there, fine. No one's going to know about it. Go nuts. Go nuts. Um, One of the first ones that he did was actually in a museum art gallery bathroom. (laughs) Um, He he popped one up. Uh, He just wanted to see if he could do it first off and how long it would stay there. And he went and checked it and checked it and checked it and eventually the glue fell before anyone took it down oh my god so he just got ballsier yeah he just decided to do it in the main part of the gallery uh so he literally just would waltz in screw these paintings into place these curated exhibits not dressed in anything that looks like a staff member he was literally the campiest scooby-doo looking villain guy and nobody really cared (laughs) (laughs) it was fine um so in an interview that he has done, because he has produced quite a bit of stuff sort of talking about what he does, what he likes, uh, why he does the art that he does. Um, he has a few books that he's produced. He is still anonymous, but he has said in this interview that he studied uh, Harry Houdini to get an idea of how to sneak in to do his anti-heists. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one of his quotes is like, I thought some of the paintings were quite good. That's why I thought, you know, put them in a gallery. Otherwise, they'll just sit at home and no one's ever going to see them. Right, fair. Which is how we should all treat our creative 
creations you know just put show them show them off to people what are they doing on your computer what are they doing in your notebooks or in your bedroom take them out put them on instagram give them away to people give them as gifts sell them somewhere you can do this (laughs) hey if he can fucking you can exactly just put your book in the library do it it's gonna know (laughs) no one's gonna know how's anyone how's they gonna know Oh, that hell out. I love it. I love it. Uh, so Banksy went on to repeat the stunt in France, and one of the really famous ones that he did was hanging his own version of the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. Uh, he replaced her serene expression with a acid yellow smiley face. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's called Mona Lisa Smile. I love that. Yeah. That's it's, not bad. It's so good. That's wonderful. So uh, who is this strange artist, this unusual man? Um, so you may have seen the stencil of the girl with the heart balloon. It went, it's always been on MySpace and Facebook. Like MySpace was massive for it, but, uh, you know, Facebook still pops up every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, the Molotov bouquet, which is the rebel hauling a bouquet of flowers rather than a Molotov cocktail. But if you haven't heard of him already and you don't know what this is, strap in, prepare. He pretty much is believed to have come from Bristol, which is a riverside or seaside town in England. He's been described as a nondescript white guy in his late 20s slash early 30s. Um, far from that, that, that's it. That's all we have. We've just got a dude. He's just, He's a, just dude. a dude, guy. Exactly. Um, some people think that like it's a, a large group of people because he's quite prolific and he has done a lot mm. of stuff, a lot of places. But it's, we don't know, honestly. He's managed to keep his uh, anonymity pretty under wraps, surprisingly. So he started with the pseudonym Robert Banks, Robin Banks, and then Leighton shortened it to Banksy. In the late 90s, he was developing his signature street art style. So it was pretty much just like graffiti throw-ups. And all that is is literally you get your can of spray paint, you go to a wall somewhere you're not meant to be throwing up your paint, and you spray paint as quickly as you can. Um he does it with a political twist. So in an article by the Smithsonian, he says that there was an incident when he was 18 that helped him discover the utility of the stencil, which is his signature style. So basically all his art is a stencil. Um, it's just literally slapped on the wall, spray paint over the top, rip it off, run. And when he was basically trying to spray paint a train and police showed up, He said, the rest of my mates made it to the car and disappeared, so I spent over an hour hidden under a dumpster truck with engine oil leaking all over me. (laughs) As I lay there listening to the cops on the tracks, I realised I had had to cut my painting time in half or give it up altogether. I was staring straight up at the stencil plate on the bottom of the fuel tank when I realised I should just copy that style and make each letter three feet high. There's a, this is really cute, the um, book that I have of this, which is uh, Wall and Peace, one of them anyway um he has this little extra bit of the quote on the end that's totally unrelated but i thought it was adorable he said i got home at last and crawled into bed next to my girlfriend i told her i'd had an epiphany that night and she told me to stop taking that drug because it's bad for your heart (laughs) (laughs) just so sweet it made me think of so many just sweet english girls just like no love you bless (laughs) (laughs) they're there there they're there there. um so yeah, he's been all over the world. Like he has spray painted on the Palestinian wall. Uh, he has put his art all over the place. He's been in Melbourne. Um, there was a huge hubbub 
because one of the pieces that he did hear an original uh, got destroyed um, and the homeowners association of the building that it was on were like, you have drastically changed the value of our buildings by taking this away. We want to be compensated for it. And it was like a huge <gasps> legal battle. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, money, money, uh, which goes a hundred percent against what Banksy was all about in the first place. Um, so one of the things that he talks about with his art is the reason he likes art, like graffiti, so much is because it's not for profit. Uh, it's something that was never intended to make money. It's always been like a counterculture kind of thing. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that's sort of intertwined with it. If you ever look up uh, Ignorant Tattoo, that's a similar sort of thing. It's like a street art and um, prison tattoos, Russian criminal tattoos. Um, and it's literally just all about, like, not being a part of society, uh, moving against capitalism and sort of denying that everything needs to have a purpose and make money and be profitable. So his notoriety and his anonymity have sort of been part of that but as a result of this really great art popping up all over the world it means that he's become really famous and his art has begun to fetch a massive price uh which on average goes between 500k and a million dollars usd the most expenses of which so much money so much mm-hmm. money outrageous mm-hmm. amounts of money especially because he's just some you know dude that was a teenager in a tiny english town at one point in the 90s just literally spray painting on walls which is fantastic um his most expensive work which is a drawing of a boy playing with a red cross nurse doll sold for around uh oh there's an exact amount here excuse me $23,176,314. million dollars <gasps> fucking fuck (laughs) right it's insane so the piece appeared on the wall of a university hospital in southampton on may 2020 with a note that says thanks for all you're doing i hope this brightens the place up a bit even if it's only black and white so that's just one that's really sweet it was a tribute to healthcare workers during the covid pandemic a copy hangs in the hospital now the original was auctioned off in march of this year 2021 Proceeds from the sale will be donated to support healthcare workers across the UK. So, you know, there's still, even with all this money and fame, like a level of care and giving back, yeah. which is really cool like to a, see. A little hoodlum Robin Hood. Exactly. Like which goes Robin back Hood. to Robin Banks, doesn't it? Robin Banks. <laughs> Robin Banks. Um, yeah. So along with his traditional art, he also has a performance artist side to his work. Um, he's installed lots of shit. Like he has broken into zoos and, uh, like there's one zoo that he went to in um oh god i forget exactly which country it is but he basically went in trying to spray paint on um one of the like i think it was the penguin enclosures wall um he wanted to spray paint something about like letting them out uh in spanish because that's the language of the country he was in at the time i forget which one um and he couldn't remember the phrase that he'd been taught in Spanish uh, and he'd lost a piece of paper trying to like scale the wall to get into the zoo. Uh, so he just decided to literally spray paint all over the exhibit the um, like markers for counting down the days, like a prison sentence. Oh. You know, like people would do oh. the walls of prisons. So you just did like hundreds of them, like four spray paint cans worth over the like walls of the penguin exhibit. Um it's insane, like, the stuff that he's done. He's gone and, uh, like, taken – he's spray painted on the side of boats and things like that in the English Channel. Done some crazy shit. It's really cool. 
I would highly recommend if you have any interest in like art or street art or like just anti-authority kind of um, displays, like Banksy's old work is very cool, very interesting. Uh, He also has produced a documentary, um, interactive exhibits uh, featuring live animals and a whole last theme park, Dismaland. So he has a strong focus on climate change protests, violence and injustice. Uh, there are even instances of Banksy selling his art on the street direct, um, small stands where it's just him sitting there, millions of dollars worth of his art for sale for like 20 pounds, like nothing. It's such a cheap, cheap price. So keep an eye out. Maybe one day you'll see Banksy selling his own shit and you can buy it for just a fraction of the price. That would be great. That would be be pretty cool. (laughs) Um, So now that you know a little bit about him, uh, we move on to the final portion, the theft. So we've talked about his anti-art heists where he installed art where it wasn't meant to be. Now we're going to talk about how in 2018, the original print version of Girl with Balloon, a very famous one, sold in an auction for $1.4 million. As soon as the sale finalised, just as soon as the auction finished, an alarm sounded in the gallery and the artwork began to feed through a shredder hidden in the bottom of the frame. Oh, my God, I remember this. Yeah. Oh, it was oh, so it's fucked. good. The video is just everyone looking at it in fucking disbelief. I like, oh. Just horror. It's fucked. <laughs> it's just insane. Literally in less than a minute, $1.4 million worth of art just shredded into pieces. Uh, oh, my God. So the gallery, Sotheby, completely denied any knowledge of the incident to then um there is evidence that they may not be the case though so it's important to note that the piece was the last to be sold and it was the only item physically mounted on the wall rather than displayed freestanding which why unless they had an idea of what was going to happen but it's only speculation allegedly uh so it is unknown what the anonymous buyer thinks of the whole ordeal but the shreds are uniform enough that it can be displayed again so it's it's you know the story is there now it's worth more than 1.4 yeah, million exactly <laughs> um later in 2018 early june another piece by banksy was physically stolen from an exhibition in toronto canada uh, the exhibit wasn't affiliated with Banksy, but it was a curated collection of his art from ex-agent Steve, uh, I'm going to mess this up, Lazaridis. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Lazaridis yeah, cool. told CBC Toronto, he's a control freak. He likes things done his way. He probably hate it, to be honest. It's speculated online that the culprit may have actually been Banksy himself. It does sound like some shit that he would fucking do. Um, oh yeah and when the gallery released footage from the security tapes it was a nondescript white guy late 20s slash early 30s in a hat and a hoodie creeps into the exhibit like a scooby-doo villain that we know so well (laughs) takes the piece (laughs) under his arm no qualms and creeps back out again oh my god charges have never been pressed and the culprit has never been identified (laughs) <laughs> oh my god the bm of it all i know oh man it's it's god, ridiculous it's, i love it's it it's totally him i just totally so. him i think i mean like this is the point is he must he's achieved so much and he's probably got quite wealthy off of it all i can't imagine he isn't um you just start doing shit for fun especially if you already have that anti-authority uh you know idea and yeah. you're just basically have 
unwittingly sh- or possibly wittingly, I don't know the dude, shoehorned yourself into a position that you kind of didn't like in the first place. Because he used to talk a lot of shit about artists that get put up in galleries and how that fraction of the art is only by a very small amount of people. Like art is everywhere all the time just because it's on your fridge and your kid did it instead of, you know, someone that is world-renowned. doesn't make it any less art. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought it would be cool to finish off with uh, some advice from Banksy on painting with stencils. Ooh. Because stencils are fun. Stencils are really cool. I used to do a lot of them back in high school. Um, So it's always easier to get forgiveness than permission, which is true. (laughs) But don't don't always apply that to everything. Uh, Mindless vandalism can take a bit of thought. Nothing in the world is more common than unsuccessful people with talent Leave the house before you find something worth staying in for. Think outside the box, collapse the box, and then take a sharp sharp knife to it. A regular 400ml can of paint will give you up to 50 A4 size stencils. This means you can become incredibly famous slash unpopular in a small town virtually overnight for approximately 10 pounds, which is about (laughs) 20 bucks here, which is, yeah, pretty on point. Um, Try to avoid painting in places where they still point at aeroplanes. Ooh. Spray paint directly onto the stencil from a different of eight, eight distance of eight inches. When explaining yourself to the police, it's worth being as reasonable as possible. Graffiti writers are not real villains. Real villains consider the art of breaking into some place, not stealing anything, and then leaving behind a painting of your name in four foot high letters, the most ridiculous thing they ever heard of. <laughs> Be aware that going on a major mission totally drunk out of your head will result in some truly spectacular artwork and at least one night in the cells. <laughs> The easiest way to become invisible is to wear a Dayglow vest and carry a tiny transistor radio playing Heart FM extremely loudly. If questioned about the legitimacy of your painting, simply complain about the hourly rate. (laughs) And two more. So crime against property is not real crime. People look at an oil painting and admire the use of brushstrokes to convey meaning. People look at a graffiti painting and admire the use of a drain pipe to gain access. Which is true. You look at some shit that's on roofs and you're like, how the fuck did you do that, my dude? How the fuck did they get up there? <laughs> don't know. 100%. I don't know. I love watching dudes dangle off the edge of, like, buildings trying to spray paint. I'm like, I I don't want to watch, but also this is ridiculous. I do not I have the upper body strength to do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, the time of getting fame for your name on its own is over. Artwork that is only about wanting to be famous will never make you famous. Fame is a byproduct of doing something else. You don't go to a restaurant and order a meal because you want to have a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've been schooled twice today. I know. (laughs) It's a time. It's a time. Uh, But yeah, I really think Banksy is quite funny. It was one of the artists that I really enjoyed when I was a little, little kitty growing up and it, uh, got me and my mum really close to each other and I always loved the idea of putting something where people don't want it rather than taking something. I thought that was very funny. Yeah. So that's Banksy. Fuck yeah, Banksy. Fuck yeah, Mum. Fuck yeah, yeah heists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mate, thank you again for the wonderful uh, suggestion of the topic. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's good. Thank you, listener, who we have not found the message for. We're very sorry. Um, but we really appreciated this one because this is outside the box for us and I didn't really know anything about any of the ones that we talked about today I obviously knew about my one already but I still learned stuff oh yeah 
Yeah. I love just not knowing shit and then knowing it. Learning's fucking ace, isn't it? That's really good. Learning's good. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Learning is what? Fundamental. Fundamental. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've come to the end of another episode. Thank you for well done, all of those listening. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got a, a segment idea and you want to fly it, it our way, um, please do. Um, we'll make sure to remember your name. <laughs> um, you can find us on all our socials, weirdsisterspodcast.com. Um, uh, leave us a cheeky like. Leave us a cheeky follow. Leave us a cheeky review. Tell us if you like the show. Please don't tell us if you don't. We don't want to hear it. Uh, and with that, I think I think we're done. I think we're good. Yeah. We are. I yeah, think I'm good. Mate. I'm done. I'm ready. Catch, mm. catch you next time, listeners. Bye. See you. Bye. See you. <laughs>